the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. Great to be with you. Here, here you have a beginning with what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in America, and I'm going to talk about something just for a moment. It's You decide whether it's significant. I think it is. An article in The Economist, and... It really touched me for, uh, I think, for many of you, obvious reasons. The importance of handwriting is becoming better understood. And th- there is no handwriting anymore. I know whenever I mention that things in some ways were better in the past, I know that there are people who are thinking, oh, that, that's what uh, older people do, is, you know, in our day, in our day, in our day. Well, the fact is that there's been such a deterioration in almost every arena of life. The question is not whether or not an older person is nostalgic. It's whether it is true. We don't ask that anymore. We ask who said it. We ask what their race or ethnicity or class or gender or sex or whatever, but we don't ask, is it true? This has been a loss in our society. Do you know that I sign books at events? Often before I speak, I have a meet and greet with people who pay extra to meet and greet me. And many will bring a book of mine for me to sign. And if it's a younger person, let's say high school or college, I actually say, can you read cursive or script as we used to call it? And often they say, well, mm, not really. When I announce on Fridays that one of the five subjects I really want people to call in is with regard to fountain pens, right? Fountain pens, classical music, audio equipment, cigars. What's the fifth one? Photography, yeah. So it's cute, but it's not cute. It's also serious. The joy of writing 
Letters are not sent any longer. Notes are not taken that way. Do you know that people remember things better when they write them down than when they type them in, in, the, uh, in their phone or in the computer? They simply, that is why I, to this day, I write whatever notes I use for a speech. I, it's not long. It's often the entire speech is on the back of a business card. But I write it. I don't type it in. And I know that it sinks into my mind better when I have written it. Are your kids learning that? Hey, here, here's, a, here's a great question for you. Are your kids learning anything? Did you Where, where was it I just saw that uh, people guessing when... Let's see, what, is that slavery? When did slavery end? It seems to have mystified many young people. Did you see, happen to see that? Many thought it lasted until the 20th century. But it's not surprising. What do they know? It's, uh, the, the crisis is of, of mediocrity is really something. They know it if they studied at PragerU. They know it if they studied at PragerU. Isn't that correct? Boy, is that ever correct. All right. The moral confusion with regard to the Middle East is a very, very bad sign of our times. That the events of October 7th did not convince the vast majority of human beings who know about it that we have a good versus evil battle here means something really frightening. There is nothing the Palestinians could do that would shake the well you know, there are two sides and two opinions, and they're both engaged in mass killing. Do you know that they're still holding a baby? They're holding a baby. You would think that uh, there's nothing left in the annals of human deprivation, no, excuse me, degradation. And yet, the, some spectacularly evil human beings. Hamas is as evil as it gets, and the vast majority of Palestinians support Hamas. This crap that people who don't want to face reality say, oh, you can't, you can't equate the Palestinians with Hamas. They equate themselves with Hamas. Are there some Palestinians who are noble and wonderful and fine and good and kind and all good things? Yes. There were Germans who were like that. There were Russians who were like that. There were Chinese who were like that. But when we speak about Nazi Germany, we don't say, oh, but of course there were so many. You can't equate Germans with Nazis. Well, you could in the 1930s and 1940s. Certainly the, the second half of the 30s and certainly the first half of the 40s. 
But here it's there are let's put it this way: there are probably there's probably a greater percentage of Palestinians who support Hamas than Germans who supported the Nazis. Certainly than Russians who supported the communists. But there were plenty. Stalin's funeral, many people were crushed to death because they were there were so many people who attended Stalin's funeral. Imagine that a man murders. 20 to 40 million people of your own people, and you weep at his funeral. <laughs> Last night, I, I was on, at, at midnight, California time, I, I did a one-hour podcast with Australia. And it really came out of me. <laughs> My contempt for a good chunk of humanity, which I've always had, because... The will of man's heart is towards evil from his youth, Genesis 8. The woman asked me, so what was it? Uh, are, you, are you disappointed or something like that? I go, it's very hard to disappoint me. Because when you expect so little from humanity, it's not, not difficult. What I have is pleasant surprise. When I listen to Douglas Murray, I am encouraged that there the really is a, there's a percentage of humanity that is good. You should all watch Douglas Murray. It's all over. It's all over the internet. There is a legend. Is a Jewish legend. There are 36 righteous people at any given time on earth. And if the number ever goes down to 35, the world the world will implode. It's a powerful legend. I think he's one of the 36, to be honest. God, there is, there is so much. There is a statement in Hosea. I believe it might be Isaiah. My A's are not clear fully who who said what. But one of them said, Woe unto those who call good evil and evil good. You can't tell the difference, the moral difference between Israel and its enemies. You are truly morally confused human beings. But that is what the left has produced in the West, morally confused human beings. What is it now? That they watched Osama bin Laden's or read his letter to the West? Is that unbelievable? Oh, he, he had a point. We return. My friends, I'm asking you to go online at DennisPrager.com and click on the Angel Tree Christmas banner to help make Christmas a reality for children with a mother or father in prison this holiday season. When you give today, your tax-deductible donation will combine with that of my other listeners to give 17,000 children of prisoners the joy of an Angel Tree Christmas, a special Christmas gift plus the Bible and a personalized note from their incarcerated parent. It's a very beautiful thing this Christian organization is doing. You don't have to be a Christian to believe it's beautiful. So please, 
Call 888-206-2801, 888-206-2801, or go to DennisPrager.com and click on the Angel Tree banner to bless a child this Christmas. Thank you. There's so little teaching of history that I'll bet most of you and many of you are quite knowledgeable, are not familiar with may be familiar with his name, but not familiar with his work. The man is Bayard Rustin. I remember him. He was a trusted advisor to Martin Luther King and the chief organizer of the 1963 March on Washington. To give you an idea of the deterioration in black leadership, as everything else has deteriorated in this country, I'm going to read to you from, I can't believe it, it was a New York Times piece on Bayard Rustin. Did you happen to see that? You'll find this fascinating. Bayard Rustin was a towering figure in the fight for racial equality. Remarkably, for a man of his generation and public standing, he was also openly gay. Now, it, it would be a rewriting of history to say that it was as easy a life for a gay person in the 1960s as it is today. There's no question it was tougher. But it is worth noting that a respected leader in, in the United States of America, a moral giant, was gay. Everyone knew it, and it didn't affect anything. Just that. Isn't that worthy of note? But if that's not my theme. My theme is his views versus today's black leadership. By the way, it is a question why blacks, the only group that has leaders are blacks. Isn't it a little demeaning? Any Hispanic leaders, any Asian leaders, any Jewish leaders? In the decades since President Barack Obama awarded him a posthumous Presidential Medal of Freedom, the country's highest civilian honor, there has been a welcome resurgence of popular interest in Mr. Rustin's extraordinary life. Whereas remembrances of Mr. Rustin once evaded the issue of sexual orientation, today, in accordance with our growing acceptance of gay people and awareness of the discrimination they have faced, such tributes are likely to center it. This past, see, isn't that interesting? It, no big deal was made in 1963 about Bayard Rustin's being gay, but now there is. This past June, for instance, the PBS NewsHour, this is from the New York Times, aired a segment for Pride Month titled The Story of Bayard Rustin, Openly Gay Leader in the Civil Rights Movement. Other representative encomiums celebrate the gay socialist pacifist who planned the 1963 March on Washington and the gay black pacifist at the heart of the March on Washington. Okay, now we get to the heart of the matter. Mr. Rustin repeatedly challenged progressive orthodoxies. A universalist who believed that, quote, there is no possibility for black people making progress if we emphasize only race. Did you hear that? There is no, this is the man who led the march on Washington. 
top aide to Martin Luther King Jr. There is no possibility for black people making progress if we emphasize only race. He would bristle at the current penchant for identity politics. I couldn't believe that the New York Times, which celebrates identity politics, published this. An integrationist who scoffed at how, quote, Stokely Carmichael could come back to the United States and demand and receive $2,500 a lecture for telling white people how they stink. (laughs) Is that terrific? He would shake his head at an estimated $3.4 billion diversity, equity, and inclusion industry. That's Rustin, that's right. He would shake his head. $3.4 billion dollars that often prioritizes making individual white people feel guilty for the crimes of their ancestors while ignoring the growing class divide. A committed Zionist, did you, how's that, huh? Bayard Rustin was a committed Zionist. This was just published in the New York Times. To give you an idea of how the left has sickened the moral compass of our society, the attack on Zionism and Zionists. Bayard Rustin was a committed Zionist. He would abhor the Black Lives Matter stance on Israel and the recent spate of anti-Semitic outbursts by black celebrities. Do you understand how they let this be published in the New York Times? The origin of Mr. Rustin's estrangement from the progressive consensus began with his belief that once federal civil rights legislation was achieved, the American left would need to turn its attention from racial discrimination to the much more pervasive problem of economic inequality. Four months after the march, Mr. Rustin was invited to deliver a speech at Howard University to the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC as they used to call it. According to the Times account, Mr. Rustin, quote, said that the civil rights movement had gone as far as it could with its original approach and that the time had come to broaden the movement, which he said faces the danger of degenerating into a sterile sectarianism. That is exactly what the civil rights movement did. Degenerated into a sterile sectarianism based on color. Everything about the man, virtually everything, if you will, is the antithesis of the left, which has been embraced by the Democratic Party and the civil rights movement, whatever that means anymore. I will read more to you. This is powerful. Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. You didn't stop at the pillow. Mike also created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. 
These sheets look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep, which is crucial for overall health. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's latest deal is the sale of the year for a limited time. You'll receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets, marking prices down as low as $29.98, depending on the size. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Podcasts Square, and use the promo code Prager. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and so much more. Call 800-761-6302 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager. One of the leading black figures in the civil rights movement was Bayard Rustin. The New York Times a very long piece on him. And you realize how utterly different he was and therefore major aspects of the of the civil rights movement and black leadership. As I noted, it says here he was a committed Zionist. He would abhor the Black Lives Matter stance on Israel and the recent spate of anti-Semitic outbursts by black celebrities. This is what this New York Times piece writes. And he was against making race the focus point of the civil rights movement. He said, okay, we achieved what we wanted. It's like the March of Dimes. Polio was conquered. The March of Dimes moved but they didn't keep it marching for dimes, for polio at least. But the civil rights movement acts as if there's more and more to be done to secure black civil rights in America, like they're being suppressed at the ballot box. It's just a gigantic left-wing lie. In a seminal 1965 commentary magazine essay from Protest to Politics, published after the passage of the Civil Rights Act and several months before the signing into the law of the Voting Rights Act, Mr. Rustin argued that the main barrier to black advancement in the United States would soon no longer be racism, but poverty. How do you like that? A black leader, I mean big black leader, you know what? The the biggest problem in black life is not racism. What is it now? How many years later? 60 years later, and they're still saying the same thing. Racism. And and all it has done is create a generation of, of angry young men and women who believe that, who believe racism is their barrier to elevating their lives. At issue, after all, is not civil rights, strictly speaking, he wrote, but social and economic conditions that transcended race. In 1969, he called the proposal for slavery reparations preposterous. (laughs) Elaborating that, quote, if my great-grandfather picked cotton for 50 years, then he may deserve some money but he's dead and gone, and nobody owes me anything. 
This is the man who organized the 1963 Civil Rights March. Testifying before Congress in 1974 against affirmative action, Mr. Rustin said, Everyone knows racial discrimination still exists, but the high rate of black unemployment and the reversal of hard-won economic gains is not the result of discrimination. Yeah. But of the same general economic conditions that affected the white unemployed. Contrary to contemporary anti-racism activists, the writer writes, who claim that the existence of racial disparities necessarily constitutes evidence of racism, Mr. Rustin asserted, quote, that blacks are underrepresented in a particular profession does not by itself constitute racial discrimination. What do you think? The man said the opposite. The opposite of what is said today. Although an early opponent of American military involvement in Vietnam, Mr. Rustin could not, as he wrote in 1967, quote, go along with those who favor immediate U.S. withdrawal or who absolve Hanoi and the Viet Cong from all guilt. A military takeover by those forces would impose a totalitarian regime on South Vietnam, and there is no doubt in my mind that the regime would wipe out independent democratic elements in the country. He was a giant, Bayard Rustin. Yeah. The Viet Cong, well, look, people... The grandparents of the pro-Palestinian demonstrators today marched for the Viet Cong. Ho, ho, Ho Chi Minh. Ho, ho, Ho Hamas. Or better, Ha, 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 ha Hamas. Ha, ha, Hamas. I'm not sure if you will laugh, cry, shake your head, mumble, oh my God, I'm not sure what your reaction will be, but it is worth playing for you brief remarks by the United States Education Secretary. There should not be a Department of Education to begin with. The education in the United States has deteriorated from the very moment the Department of Education was created. Who, who, I always forget. Which president did that? Was that Carter? Uh, I'll check if it, uh, I think it was Carter. It I'll take a look. I'm very curious. Nixon could have been Nixon. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been either, yeah. As government expands, quality of life deteriorates. bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. The United States was founded to maximize citizen power and minimize government power. The United States does almost nothing that it was founded to do. We have this, not we, but this, the country has entirely rejected, because the left has entirely rejected the founders' values. It was Carter. It was Carter. Yeah. That's a legacy, isn't it? 
Secretary of Education, whom none of you know, <laughs> or <laughs> the number of Americans who would answer, who's the Secretary of Education, is, I would say, 1%, say 1 in 100. Miguel Cardona. I don't play slips of the tongue ever. They're human beings, public figures. They're going to make mistakes. Everybody who speaks does. Everybody who speaks publicly a lot does. But this is a bad one. Take it away. You know, we're going to set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available. Um, as uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Um, there's, there are resources there. There's okay. technical assistance All right. there. And there's All right. a playbook. That, that we don't that... need any more. Let, let, let me read to you what he actually said, Ronald Reagan. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Oh, you need to see Sean, my friends. The man has not blinked since I noted this. There are no words. They're, they're really yeah, staggering as a fair, a fair assessment of what was you just heard. That's not a slip of the tongue. No, it's not a slip of the tongue. It's ignorance. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not a slip of the tongue. Correct. He doesn't know what President Reagan said. He... he he cited the president as saying the opposite of what Reagan said. Was anybody present for this speech? It sounded like it was an empty room. No, no. Where was it? I don't know where it was given. I would like you to keep that. It's a Hall of Famer, Sean. Can you isolate the comment again? It's really worth worth hearing it one more time. This is the quality of person the Democrats put up. I would like to know if he's done anything good for education. I assume that the Department of Education is major supporters of the teachers' unions. And that means that all they do is harm children. Got it? You don't have it. Uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Uh, uh, okay. There you go. That is the democratic position. Well, that is the democratic position. That's exactly right. And Reagan was right. They're the most terrifying nine words. On an even more serious note, I'd like you to hear who made this compilation of Muslim clergy speaking. They don't have clergy technically in Islam. Talk TV investigation has unearthed footage of hate preachers in several UK mosques calling for Jews to be killed amid the Israel-Hamas conflict. So, Sean, I'm going to keep interrupting because I'm not sure people will be able to understand. I hope I can. These were not professionally made videos, obviously. Somebody in the mosque 
made it and provided them. So this is what is preached from mosques in the United Kingdom. Now, Israel's war on Hamas has sparked suspected hate preaching in some of Britain's mosques. A talk TV investigation today reveals footage of preachers in several mosques calling for Jews to be killed and Israel to be destroyed. And we have handed the dossier of evidence to police and officers from three forces are now actively investigating. Holly Hudson has this exclusive report, which comes with a warning that some viewers may find its content offensive. A sermon at the Redbridge Islamic Centre in Ilford. The speaker prays with his congregation in Arabic to curse the Jews and the children of Israel. Talk TV had the recording translated twice independently. It's voiced by an actor. O Allah, curse the Jews and the children of Israel. O Allah, curse the infidels and the polytheists. O Allah, break their words, shake their feet, disperse and tear apart their unity, and ruin their houses and destroy their homes. And from London to Liverpool. If the three billion just marched on Israel, it's all over. You spot in the direction of Israel, two billion, it's all over. To Birmingham. The stones, the stones will speak and say, oh Muslim, behind me there is a Yahudi, come and kill him. Preachers at mosques across Britain have been filmed calling for victory for Hamas. Oh God, heal our hearts regarding the usurping Jews and in every enemy of you and the Muslims. Oh God, limit their numbers, kill them indiscriminately and do not leave any of them alive. Oh God, our Lord, disperse them, weaken their strength, shake the ground beneath their feet, and freeze the blood in their veins. Make them captive to the Muslims. And stoking hatred against Jews and Israel with alarming anti-Semitic rhetoric. Oh, revenger, revenge from the oppressive aggressor occupying Zionists. Oh Allah, shake the earth beneath them. Oh Allah, limit their number, kill them indiscriminately and do not leave any of them alive. Rhetoric that in some cases is as violent as that of Abu Hamza, the known hate preacher who delivered sermons at Finsbury Park Mosque before it was shut down and who was deported from the UK. In Greenwich, this speaker ended his prayers with calls for Allah to grant victory over the enemy. The Met said while it understands the footage raised concern in Greenwich, no offences had been committed there. Jewish groups, though, say that police aren't doing enough and are calling for prosecutions in some cases, warning that some of these sermons could lead not only to hate crime, but extremism and even terror. There is no difference between the rhetoric in the Hamas charter and the rhetoric that is on display in these videos. They are utterly hateful, they are violent, and they are a threat to both Jews and non-Jews in this country there is a real risk of more than just one person being encouraged by this rhetoric to go out and take action on the streets. And we've seen how bad that can be in the past. Talk TV has confirmed that police are assessing video evidence from four of the seven mosques we've highlighted. The Charities Commission is also examining some of the footage, as the majority are also linked to registered charities, meaning they receive taxpayers' money. In a statement, they said, we are aware of a significant number of serious concerns which largely concern allegations of anti-Semitic or hate speech. We're assessing them, and if there has been any wrongdoing, we'll take action.
Talk TV reached out to all of the mosques and figures featured in this report. Redbridge Islamic Centre declined to comment directly to us, but previously said it launched an immediate investigation and decided that the imam will not be allowed to address worshippers again until it's concluded. No other mosques responded. Okay. That's in England. There's a man, a Dutch man, that I've had on this show many times. He lived uh, in the U.S. for a little while with his family. Leon de Winter, one of the most prominent writers in, in Holland, in the Netherlands. He just came out with a statement that he believes that there won't be any Jews in Europe by 2050. That was Hitler's aim, Judenrein, empty of Jews. <laughs> The quote there, you see a Jew behind a tree, there's a Jew behind the tree, kill him. It's from the Quran, by the way. Right? It's not the Hadith. I believe it's the Quran. might be the Hadith. I, ha- I have to check on that. It's not new, in other words. To show you that evil doesn't have any ethnicity... Here's a piece from the Jewish News Service. George Soros funneled $15 million to groups behind pro-Hamas protests. Huh. He's one of the worst human beings living today. Since 2016, George Soros has funneled more than $15 million to groups behind recent pro-Hamas protests in the United States. A New York Post review of the Soros-funded Open Society Foundation's records found the grant-making network provided $13.7 million of the money through Tides Center, a left-wing advocacy group. For example, Tides donated to the Adala Justice Project in Illinois. Adala posted on October 7th, the day of the massacre, a picture of a bulldozer ripping through Israel's Gaza security fence with the caption, Israeli colonizers believe they could indefinitely trap two billion people in an open-air prison. No cage goes unchallenged. Group members also occupied California Representative Ro Khanna's office on October 20th, demanding he sign a resolution calling for a ceasefire. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan explained the motive behind the ceasefire calls on CBS's Face the Nation. What a lot of people are calling for is just a stop to military action, Israeli military action against terrorists, period. Just stop, no more. Israel cannot go after terrorists who conducted the largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. We have taken the position that Israel has a right to defend itself against terrorist attacks. The Post reported that Adala also co-sponsored a rally in New York City's Bryant Park on October 20th, where protesters yelled anti-Semitic chants, and waved the sign, I do not condemn Hamas. Among the other groups receiving Soros money were Desis Rising Up and Moving, Desis Rising Up and Moving, another co-sponsor of the Bryant Park protest. 
the Arab American Association of New York, a group co-founded by Linda Sarsour, remember her? A BDS, that's uh, Boycott, Divest, Sanctions, supporter, widely accused of anti-Semitism, received $60,000 in 2018 from the Open Society Foundations. The group organized a flood Brooklyn for Palestine protest on October 21st. Protesters called for the eradication of Israel and held a sign of the Israeli flag in a trash basket that read, Please keep the world clean, the New York Post reported. Fringe anti-Israel Jewish groups, Jewish Voice for Peace, and if not now, received $650,000 and $400,000 respectively. Jewish Voice for Peace organized a sit-in during rush hour at Grand Central Station in Manhattan on Friday. 200 people were arrested, and so on and so forth. All the groups that George Soros has funded. And yet... There are groups that say that if you attack George Soros, it's anti-Semitic, the attack. God, what a disservice to the battle against anti-Semitism. To attack George Soros is no more anti-Semitic than attacking Leon Trotsky or Karl Marx. Or the uh, any, any, any given bad person who happens to be born a Jew. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It is also worth noting that George Soros has no Jewish identity whatsoever. If you are what you identify as, he's not a Jew. He's stuck, and I'm sure he feels that way. He's just stuck with the label Jew. But it's actually helpful. But if he were not Jewish and did what he did, he would be called an anti-Semite. I guess it's not enough that he's anti-American and anti-West. Yeah, a lot, lot, to, a lot of stuff to learn. <sighs> Alex Berenson says that Israel has made a big mistake in giving in to hostage payment for hostage with a ceasefire or pause, if you will. I don't know whether Israel has made a big mistake, but I'm going to read to you some of his arguments. I'll tell you this. I believe that when they gave a thousand Palestinian terrorists over for one captured, kidnapped, I should say, Israeli soldier, they opened the gates for all of this. If I know that if I do X, I get what I want, won't I do more of X? Symbolically, by agreeing to to a hostage-for-prisoner swap, Israel has implicitly agreed to the Palestinian criminals in its prison that the Palestinian criminals in its prisons are no different than the civilians that Hamas's terrorists grabbed from their beds and homes on October 7th. Materially and tactically, the pause gives Hamas fighters a chance 
to rest after weeks of bombardment, rebuild their defenses, and rearm. Worse, well, I'll read to you when we get back. He makes some cogent arguments. I read the opposite argument, that this proves that Hamas is, their morale is sinking. You decide. Alex Berenson writes about how bad it is for Israel that they have done this deal to get their kidnapped citizens back. So I'm continuing uh, the uh, what he his arguments. The pause gives Hamas's fighters a chance to rest after weeks of bombardment to rebuild their defenses and rearm. Worse, Israel has lost the chance to force the action. Hamas decides whether to keep the ceasefire in place by releasing more hostages. Israel has no choice in the matter. Morally, most importantly, Israel has squandered what is left of the world's sympathy. It should have told Hamas that the taking of hostages was a war crime and it would never agree to a ceasefire as long as Hamas held them. It should have drawn that line and stuck to it. All right, but that not that the same thing as what Israel's done? If Israel says, you know, we will have a ceasefire after you return the hostages, I mean, that would have been better than they'd have gotten all their hostages. Yeah, that's the that, that, that's, I guess, the, yeah, that is the issue. Okay. The deal is so terrible it raises the question how the Israeli government could possibly have agreed to it. One possibility is that the Biden White House, despite its public support for Israel, essentially forced it to do so. Another, more hopeful, is that Israel has reached secret side deals with major Arab countries that will help it eliminate Hamas's leadership and quickly in months, not years. But the third is that Bibi Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister, is lurching through this crisis with only one goal, his own political survival. As pressure from inside Israel to release the hostages grew, Netanyahu buckled instead of telling his people the truth that allowing the hostages to be taken was his failure and he would not compound it by making a terrible deal to release them, as innocent as they are. For the first time, I am seriously worried about Israel's future. As things stand, it has shown that it cannot protect its civilians, yet has also managed to turn much of the world against it through the bombardment of Gaza. I'm reading you one man's opinion. He may well be right. But Israel is in an impossible position. The families in, in Israel are center stage in Israel. All they all they need to get their their family back is for Israel to have a pause in in fighting. Why not do it? Oh yes, and of course ship over Palestinian terrorists. One of them, did you see her in Gaza? chanting for more attacks. 
She just got off the bus. Much of the Palestinian world's sole nourishment is hatred. It is not it is not equivalent on the Jewish side. Okay, it's just not. But a we now have at least two generations that have been taught how not to make been taught not to make moral judgments. So they really don't know. There is a whole generation of Americans that does not know the difference between good and evil. If you don't know the difference between Israel and its enemies, morally speaking, or God forbid, for your sake and the world's sake, you think Israel is the villain, then it's could this only could happen because you were taught it. There are schools. Where, what was that school now? They they let them out to do a pro Hamas demonstration in Brooklyn. Yeah, you read about these things. Why would a parent keep their child in such a school? We never had this in American history. Did we have pro Nazi or pro communist marches? Can you tell me a difference between the Nazis and Hamas? Literally, tell me a difference. They both wanted to destroy the Jews. That's it. If Israel laid down its arms, what would happen? If the enemies of Israel laid down their arms, what would happen? Back in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey, everybody, the Ultimate Issues Hour every th- Tuesday. I was going to say Thursday. Why did I was going to say Thursday? Hmm, I will be in St. Louis Thursday, broadcasting from St. Louis. I can't go two weeks without flying somewhere. Next week, New York. I have no idea what will happen when I speak at Columbia University. No idea. No idea how many students will show up. But it's worth it. I'm also going to be speaking for Eric Metaxas, one of my favorite people, at his Socrates in the City series. My topic today on the Ultimate Issues Hour is my column, because my column comes out Tuesdays, just as the Ultimate Issues Hour does. 
It's titled, American Jews Who Worked for a Secular America Made a Fatal Error. Again, American Jews Who Worked for a Secular America Made a Fatal Error. Or another way of titling it is, When America Was More Christian, Jews Were More Secure. Should I have titled it that way? Which title do you like more? You like the second one. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? That's what happens in life. You look back, you go, ah, I should have said X. I should have said Y. Since World War II, most American Jews have believed that the more secular American society is, the more secure their status. This has been, as I have argued all of my life, a colossal error. Indeed, it may turn out to be a fatal error. With the outburst of unprecedented levels of anti-Semitism, American Jews are living the famous warning, beware what you wish for, you just may get it. The primary reason American Jews have lived in the most Jew-friendly, even Jew-honoring country in history is that most Americans have been Christian. But we must make a key distinction here. American Christians have been not just Christian as Europe was, but Judeo-Christian. Nearly all the American founders were either traditional Christians, i.e. believers in the Christian Trinity, or believers in God, but not in the Trinity. Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin fall into this latter category, but almost to a man, the founders were Judeophiles. Indeed, Jefferson and Franklin wanted the seal of the new United States to depict the Jews leaving Egypt. In an 1808 letter, John Adams wrote about the Jews. They are the most glorious nation that ever inhabited this earth. The Romans and their empire were but a bauble in comparison of the Jews. They have given religion to three quarters of the globe and have influenced the affairs of mankind more and more happily than any other nation, ancient or modern. I will insist the Hebrews have contributed more to civilized men than any other nation. If I were an atheist and believed in blind eternal fate, I should still believe that fate had ordained the Jews to be the most essential instrument for civilizing the nations. It wasn't just the founders who appreciated the Jews' contribution to the formation of the great concepts of Western civilization. Mark Twain, who though not a religious man, was raised in a religious Protestant home, wrote in 1899 in an essay in Harper's Magazine concerning the Jews. Quote, The Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out and they sit in the twilight now, or have vanished. The Jews saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he has always been, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of all his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret? of his immortality. 
The only inscription on the Liberty Bell is from the Hebrew Bible, specifically the book of Leviticus, the third book of the Torah. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. Until 1800, you could not graduate from Harvard University without knowing Hebrew. The insignia of Yale University is in Hebrew, depicting the breastplate of the Jewish high priest. In a famous study published in the American Political Science Review, Donald Lutz, a professor of political science at the University of Houston, surveyed the political literature of the American founding. He found that the Bible was cited more frequently than any other work or any other author. The Bible accounted for approximately one-third of the founder's citations. The single most frequently cited work was Deuteronomy, the fifth of the five books of the Torah. The late great theologian, Catholic theologian, Michael Novak, wrote that the roots of the doctrine that all men are created equal lie in Judaism carried around the world by Christians. As American society and Americans individually became less religious, i.e. less Christian, the Jews became less significant. Yet many, perhaps most American Jews, have bought and promulgated the idea that Jewish security in America lies in secularizing, i.e. de-Christianizing America. As noted above, I have warned against this dangerous foolishness all of my life. As I said to John Anderson, the former Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, on his podcast, I say this as a Jew, I don't romanticize Christianity when I say, its death is the death of the West. I am rooting for Christianity's survival as much as you, the Christian, are. Look around, my fellow Jews. Are you happy with the results of the secularization of America? Do you feel more secure or less? I ask you, is it not obvious that when more Christians attended church every Sunday, America's Jews were far more secure? The, la- the, the ending sentence is what the title should have been. doesn't matter. The, the Jews have never experienced insecurity in the United States. There have been, there's been anti-Semitism, you know, places closed off to Jews and so on. But Jews knew that this was the most secure place they had ever lived in the history of the Jewish people. And that's, uh, it seems to be diminishing. It is diminishing because the power of Christianity in America is diminishing and the rise of substitute religions of the left, which have n- nothing in common with Judeo-Christian values, and with the rise in, in power of fundamentalist Muslims. Nobody has an issue with Muslims who are not fundamentalist, but fundamentalist Muslims very often have profoundly anti-Western and anti-Jewish attitudes. So... That's the thesis. One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. When Jew when uh, when Americans went to church, Jews were more secure. That's the topic of the ultimate issues hour. Or if you will, all of America was better.
Not every Christian was a saint. Some Christians were awful because they're human beings and that's, that's going to happen. But the sum total was a better America. And now for the first time in the history of the United States, fewer than half of Americans attend church weekly. Many attend church weekly, W-E-A-K-L-Y. You think America is better with the demise of Christian belief and Christian activity and Christian worship? That's the question, and specifically as it pertains to the Jews of America. Ability of people to be foolish is literally boundless. Is uh, Sean been treating you well? Does that go on the air? (laughs) I'm asking our screener if Sean has been treating her well. There you go. That was completely non-scripted. It shows you many things. Number one, how careful we are to treat everyone who works on the show with kindness and courtesy and respect. Number two, how little I trust Sean McConnell to do that. Just want to remind you folks that when men insult one another, it means they really like them. This is not a female trait. That's fun for the male-female hour. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow. So this is the Ultimate Issues Hour, third hour on Tuesdays. My column, it's up at Town Hall, it's up at DennisPrager.com. When, uh, when more Americans went to church, Jews were more secure. Jews are the most insecure in American history. Since, since the founding of the United States, Jews have never been this insecure. This was the, the place where Jews went to be secure. And most Jews won't put two and two together. Gee, maybe the, uh, the decline of religiosity in the country uh, is part of the reason. Nah. People believe what they want to believe. Jew, non-Jew, very few people look at the evidence and then draw a conclusion, especially if it counters what they want to believe. Jews, my fellow Jews, many of whom are wonderful people, but a lot of wonderful people make very foolish decisions in the macro realm. They really believed in secularism, just like Religious Jews believe in Judaism, and committed Christians believe in Christ. Secularism, as I have said all of my life, I knew this in college, maybe high school, secularism is a dead end. Dead, baby, dead. It gives you nothing, nothing. It gives you an empty, meaningless Morally chaotic life. That's what it gives you. Not all religion gives you a good one. I'm talking about Judeo-Christian values. Specific thing which America specialized in. 
who said it? That great, great man. I knew Michael Novak pretty well. He he was a giant, this Catholic thinker. I miss him very greatly. He's a great. He was a great man. And uh, what did he write? Yes. The roots of the doctrine that all men are created equal lie in Judaism carried around the world by Christians. That is it in one sentence. The doctrines were Jewish and the carriers were Christian. That's right. A lot of people, Jews and Christians, ask, why am I so pro-Christian? I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm a, I'm a religious Jew. How come? Because you, Christians, brought the Torah to the world. There you go. Just what uh, Novak said. Where'd you get the doctrine of uh, humans are created in God's image from? The Torah. Loving God from the Torah. Loving man from the Torah. Loving the stranger from the Torah. That's why I'm writing a five-volume commentary on the Torah. I just finished Numbers uh, two days ago. How do you like that? The fourth book. Not a sexy name, but what it's a fantastic book. I do believe that anyone who reads my five-volume commentary, The Rational Bible, their life will be not only enriched but changed. Many of you bought and read Genesis and Exodus because they're the most famous, but Deuteronomy is the came out two years ago, and that was that is the book that was most cited by the founders of the country. More than Genesis, more than Exodus, more than anyone in the Enlightenment, the single most cited book was Deuteronomy. Please get it, Rational Bible. One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six Albany Oregon Ron Hello uh, Hi uh, Dennis uh, Thanks so much for taking my call um, I I think I told your your screener that uh, my my kid is in college and there are protests going on there and needless to say Thanksgiving was a little bit rough Go on. Well, um, my uh, my child. I don't want to say the, the the college that they go to because I, I you know, I, I don't want them uh, to be chased down or anything. But uh, my concern is that my son uh, doesn't appreciate what's going on in Israel at all, and uh, doesn't understand what the dynamics are there, and it is uh, increasingly a problem is what's going on in these campuses. That's right. Um, That's correct. Anti-Semitism is a problem uh, in this country. It is rising. I'm not sure if I subscribe totally to the idea that it's a function of secularism because, you know, obviously the Spanish Inquisition, we had a lot of anti-Semitism that existed before any type of... uh, In the United States it is. I make it clear in the column. You're right. American Christianity was totally different from European Christianity. This was a Judeo-Christianity. It was pro-Jewish. That's why I read to you John Adams, who was a committed Christian. That Jefferson and and Jefferson... Go on. Well, I can tell you that, I mean, just, you know, I mean, uh, when my my parents and my grandparents came over uh, in the 1800s, they had to change their name. They couldn't get insurance. This was not a function that they were very... uh, 
Oh, so you're you're Jewish. Okay, that's interesting. So the fact is, however, that compared, you're right, compared to a truly perfect society, it was a failure. Compared to every other society, why did they flee their society and come to America? If you would have asked your grandparents, are you happy you came to America, even though it was harder to get insurance, they probably would have laughed at you. Oh, well, no, of course. They, they left because of pogroms, but they weren't secular in, in Russia at that time. No, you're right. I, I said I've said all of my life to American Jews, my fellow Jews, that the European Christianity was not the same as American Christianity. This, these are the Christians that put Torah, uh, Torah script on, on the Liberty Bell, that may, had you study Hebrew, that, that said the greatest contributions were made by Jews, like I read to you from John Adams. This was a different country. This was a different form of Christianity. Well, I agree. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, you know, you have someone like John Hagee speaking at the, um, the rally uh, for Israel, I think, was frankly an abomination. I mean, I wasn't for, uh, for uh, John Hagee speaking. I there. was. I was. Uh, stay on with me. I thought it was a great choice. I know him very well. Back in a moment. The Relief Factor has a new product, and it's called Sleep. And guess what it does? I'll give you a moment here to think about it. Sean is baffled. It's fascinating. Sean, I don't understand. It's sleep, sleep. Hello, sleep. Folks, a lot of you have problems falling asleep or staying asleep. My heart goes out to you. It's not a problem I've ever had. I'm very lucky, and I know it. But if you need to, this is a great product. On occasion that I have taken it, like, for example, when I went to London and I wanted to sleep on the plane, this thing is fantastic. Anything Relief Factor does, I'm a big fan of. So, if you need to sleep or stay asleep, try it. Go to relieffactor.com and order sleep for restorative, regenerative sleep. Relieffactor.com. So my column this week is essentially that when America was more Christian, Jews were more secure. So there are two issues with my caller. This is a really important call. I'm very happy you called because I, I have a lot of thoughts on what you're saying. So this is uh, Ron in Oregon, and there are two issues. One is that his son... He is a Jewish family, and his son has been participating in anti-Israel protests at his college. And the other is that he doesn't fully agree with me because, look, after all, look at all the anti-Semitism in in Europe, which was done by Christians. And he's absolutely right. But as I've said all of my life, American Christianity was not European Christianity, and Jews— the best place Jews have ever lived outside of their own land has been the United States of America. So your last comment was that you were distressed that at the rally in Washington for Israel, they had Pastor Hagee speak, correct? Yes, that's right. And I the, mean, I was never, I never totally agreed with John McCain about all things, but when he um, distanced himself in 2008 from uh, Hagee. I thought that was the right thing to do. And the reason? Well, I don't think the idea that, and 
this is what Hagee believes, obviously not what I believe, or I would imagine not what you believe, is that um, Hitler was sent by God to push Jews to Israel. And, I mean, I understand the Christian prophecy that uh, we as Jews are a part of that, but not necessarily in the best way. But um, I guess my biggest concern is um, we just had the, uh, the, the greatest attack on Jews since the Holocaust take place. And I look at Israel as a place that was um, founded, at least in part, to protect Jews and I think that after 75 years, what we're looking at is a situation where that project has failed. And I think in part it's failed because of the way that um, Israel has gone about it. Okay, so we you know, now entered a third, uh, third arena. They're all related. Let me just say this about John Hagee. John, first of all, I never, ever judge people on the basis of their beliefs. I'm sure you're annoyed when Christians think you're going to hell because you don't believe in Christ. So why are you annoyed with John Hagee for his religious beliefs? If indeed that's what he said, I have reviewed it. It's not fully clear to me, but let's say he said that. God sent Hitler. My father, who was an Orthodox Jew and fought uh, fought Hitler in, in the U.S. Navy for three years, believed that God sent Hitler because he couldn't believe that the Holocaust just happened and God watched it. There, there, there are a lot of Jews. Well, that's uh, a, yes. Okay, so, so, a, so fine. A, so, so what exactly, how, how remarkably different was my father's view? I don't agree with my father, but it doesn't matter. It, it is, it, I, as I said, I don't, I judge beliefs, but I don't judge people by their beliefs. So John Hagee has been one of the most pro-Jewish, pro-Israel figures in American, in American life. He has founded the largest organization of Christians. It is the Kufi, Christians United for Israel. I've spoken. Yes, no, I okay, know that. Okay, so why because does that, all of that good... My other well, point. No, because, because it... Because it's, it's, yeah. I do think that intent, I do think intent is important here. So it is true that we we uh, you know that Israel has a lot of support from uh, Kufi and other uh, Christian Zionists, but they want the Jews there so that they go through hellfire. And I also know that that's not true. That, that, that isn't true. That, I, I know that. I know for a fact well, it's not true. That is exactly the prophecy that Hagee is talking. No, about. no, no. Okay, and that was one line in one with talk. It, okay, with Netanyahu. Okay, with Netanyahu also making common cause. With, yes, because uh, he's making common cause, because the greatest wing. support in America for his country is coming from Christian Zionists. Why well, wouldn't he I make common cause with them? In the end. I'm sorry? Well, I'm, I'm trying to explain. I'm trying to explain, because I think what it breeds is a type of, of uh, singular nationalism in Israel, which has left Jews unsafe. So, so you believe, okay, so you believe that Israel is at fault, okay, so let me understand. No, no, not Israel. I'm saying certain elements within Israel, because we know there was Zionist thought, starting in the late 1800s into the early 1900s, where the idea of a a multi-ethnic, multi-religious democracy could have taken hold. Yeah, okay. Well... Let me just say this. Don't be shocked that your child 
has taken your ideas to their conclusion. Okay, so uh, just a final word here. I rarely keep somebody on so long, but I thought that this is invaluable. So I just want to say, and this is, God knows, I, I, I thank you for your call and your openness, but with your views with regard to Israel, it, it, it's not shocking that your son would have participated in anti-Israel demonstrations at college. I know you wouldn't, well, I, and I fully appreciate that, but he, he didn't come from a home that made, made peace with, with Israel as a national Jewish project. Well, I think that's not I don't think that's true actually. I mean, my my uh certainly my much of my Hebrew school uh you know, and I at that point was more uh conservative than than orthodox. Uh but much of my Hebrew uh schooling was was oriented towards I- Israel. Many of my uh teachers were Yeah, but that's irrelevant. Uh, it's it's your, your views. Look, you said no. the project itself I'm saying is, is I'm flawed this as a practical matter, though, uh, Dennis, because as a practical matter, if the part of the Zionist project was to provide a safe home for Jews, I, uh, I, I mean, and surely you know this as well. Um, we have Israelis now who are in bomb shelters four times a day and that it has not worked. The peace and security for Jews as a as a single ethno national state. Has not so, so therefore, you believe Jews would be more secure if there weren't a Jewish state and it was just a Jewish and Muslim state. And, and Christian. And Christian. I mean, I yeah, well, there are so few Christians and, and, there. Okay, okay, that's academic. Well, yeah, sure. So well, you, yeah, you believe Jews would be more secure with majority Arab rule? I, I, I think absolutely a multi-ethnic uh, right. uh, society could be set up. I mean, okay. All right. All right. Look, I got to leave you at that because we've talked so long. Forgive me. I'll leave it at that and let, let the listener decide. But I I think it, you, you need to be honest with yourself. If you believe that the Zionist project is a failure, it, it, it is not that surprising that your son would have demonstrated against Israel on his campus. Uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. Corey, hello. Yes, hello, Dennis. Um, since October 7th, I've been to four or five Catholic churches for Sunday Mass, and not one time has the priest mentioned in his homily the atrocities committed against Israel. So after each Mass, I spoke to the priest, and I said, well, you know, we're witnessing modern-day good versus evil, the good being the Israelis. Why, why don't you say something? And at best, at the very best, the priest will say, well, we are doing something. We're praying for peace in the Mideast, as if there's a moral equivalent. It's a moral right, equivalent a moral, the moral equivalent. That's very depressing. Yeah. It's very depressing. I bless you and for I- calling. <laughs> this is of zero consolation to me that all of my beliefs about the human species are being vindicated once again. Many of you have heard me say, and if you've been listening since I began radio 40 years ago, you've heard me say, you heard me say it 40 years ago. Evil is not dark. 
You can look into the dark. Evil is so bright, you can't look at it. And then people have pointed out Lucifer is from light. It's much easier to be neutral than to fight evil. Much easier. It's another distressing realization, but I'm a big boy. I can handle distressing realizations, or DRs, as Sean calls them. And that is that I often ask myself, how big a difference does a religion play in a person's life morally? I know it does in terms of happiness. I know it does in terms of meaning, community, good things, but morally. Eric Metaxas writes about this. Eric Metaxas is one of the greatest Christian voices on this subject. We, we saw the weakness of so much, so many religious institutions when like sheep, they said fine when the government said shut down during COVID. Sure, absolutely. We will be completely obedient to secular irrational authority. That's what most churches and synagogues said. That, that should have been a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call for many, not for Eric Metaxas. He knew about this before, but he's written his, I think, letter to the Christian church on this subject. I mean, if a Catholic priest cannot tell the difference between Hamas and Israel, of what use is his Catholicism? Or... or Protestantism, or Mormonism, or Judaism. Of what use is it? I mean, this is not a toughie, my friends. This is just not a toughie. Civilization versus barbarity and a religious individual can't tell the difference. What the hell did you study in seminary? Yeah. Okay, Dick in Denver, Colorado. Hello. Dennis, thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I love you. I love your show. Um, Michael's sister is my sister-in-law. And whenever you go, we live four minutes from the view house. You are welcome to stay with us anytime you come out. Please remember that. Thank you. Um, I'm a Reformed Jew. I'm shocked that I've lived. I'm as old as Israel. I was born in 48, the end of 48. That this is breaking such such vitriol at this time. I I can't believe that I'm living through this now. I have a daughter who's uh, a granddaughter who's about to start college in next September. And I fear for wherever she will be going. What I what I see on Yeah, I'm very curious about her. We'll be back in a moment. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial free, every single day, become a member of Pragertopia. 
You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 